0: at all yes
1: (laughs) good evening everybody and welcome to atlantic bushcraft adventures uh tonight episode 119 and we're going to talk a little bit about getting the perfect shot and if you did read the description on the video there that's not only let me backtrack i guess we're going to talk a little bit about hunting and involving that is getting the perfect shot but not only hunting for meat which you know a lot of us do ben and i both are uh, avid hunters but also if you're just hunting for you know the perfect shot with a camera because a lot of the same concepts that you would use for going through the woods and trying to get pictures of wildlife are very relatable to hunting or vice versa, which or vice versa whichever way you want to look at it
0: yeah yeah in the end what you're looking for is that the perfect shot you know whether it be a uh, a camera or a gun you're trying to find an animal get a good location and, and manage to squeeze off that that shot now with with the camera you can do it almost anywhere where with hunting you are restricted a bit more to uh certain distance from people buildings so on and so forth so it's a little bit more tricky but the reality is to get a great picture takes a a fair amount of skill too but the end result is finding the animal you want and actually getting a good angle for it so uh you know it's quite involved, and there's a few other things uh I wanted to throw in and we'll we'll get to that too is like uh the uh what do you call them the trail cams
1: yeah, no They're actually almost, I, oh sorry go ahead
0: you gonna say they almost fall into the same category as setting up a good snare
1: yeah, for sure. I just actually recently last year got into using trail cams like fairly big. I, I don't know what big is for me. I bought uh, three cameras, so that was big for me. From a guy that literally never used them before in his life, you know what I mean? Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, I don't own one. I've always been fascinated by them. I think they're they're a great thing. I I do like them. I just uh, haven't really taken the opportunity. So.
1: And. To be fair, the ones I have, they're not high-end. Like, they're not the super sophisticated ones with cell phone cards built in them. They're the ones I caught on sale when they sell them, you know, in, like, packages of two and three or super discount sales and stuff like that. And yeah. they, they had mixed reviews, but for what I use them for, man, I think they've been working great, honestly. And, I mean, it doesn't take, um, and I guess just a quick note on, on trail cams is my experience so far, once again, self-admittedly very limited. Uh, it doesn't take a super high end trail cam to be able to get what you need. Uh, if you are, you know, hunting for meat, which is what I was doing. I was, you know, trying to get a deer and I mean, it got tons of stuff. Uh, I was worried, you know, some people said they're, they're just not quite sensitive. They miss shots. I was picking up What are we like rabbits and squirrels and deer and Porcupine was a big one that uh, seemed to come out quite a bit. So I, I was actually legitimately impressed with how well these things work.
0: Well, the, the really neat thing with those is once you set them up in an area, you're really going to get an idea of what's there. Because when you're there, you're going to scare animals away. You're going to change the environment. Your very presence affects it. So setting one of those up really gives you a, a good idea of what what you could potentially see and what you can hunt. And it, it's, it's a great, almost... To use the word a recce for an area you can set them up and for kind of forget about them come back and check them later and you're going to get a fair bit of information right um, and it's really going to help you to understand how animals think and work because you will you'll, you'll know that they're in this area at this time you'll see if they're fairly consistent because it, not only does it take the photo I believe it time and date stamps them too right yep
1: as so long you know, as you remember it, to properly set it up before you put it out Rookie mistake right there the first couple days I had it out. <laughs> Zero. Set up to like
0: 1998 or
1: something. Uh, yeah, it was like 1999 and it was saying it was taking pictures at like three in the afternoon when it was still pitch black. I'm like, none of this makes sense. I don't remember setting any of these dates or times. But anyway, <laughs> read the manual, ladies and gentlemen. I, I think that's what I'm trying to, uh, to allude to here.
0: Yeah, so how do we really want to start this off? I mean, there's there's this whole thing. There's there's quite a variety, and I guess let's just start off with setting your 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 target. I, I want to say audience, but your 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 target animal.
1: Mm. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, no, uh, that's a really good uh, place to start because determining what you are going to shoot, be it once again for meat or photography or whatever the case, is really going to set the pace for how you proceed through that hunt. And I am going to use the word hunt, and I hope anybody that's listening out there doesn't think that it's specifically just to kill an animal, because that's not what this this whole topic is about. This is hunting for the fact that you are tracking the animal down to take a shot with whatever, once again, bow, firearm, camera, just, you know practicing skills for tracking and finding wildlife stuff like that this is all going to kind of fall into that so if we use the term hunt um we mean it in that aspect and not just for the sole purpose of killing an animal which i can you know already hear somebody out there going well you guys were just into killing things for the sake of killing things which is not the case uh ben and i have joked lots of times that we've gone into the woods or i've I've at least told ben and i know he's had similar experiences Uh, i'll go into the woods bow hunting forget my arrows and it really doesn't bother me I still just continue on as if it was another day because it's to get out there in the woods. I still practice the skills of finding and all that good stuff. So anyway, that's my disclaimer. But yeah, um, determining what you are going to hunt is really going to set the pace on how you, you know, go down the path of that hunt. You know what I mean? Because if you're hunting birds, it's going to be different than if you're hunting deer. If you're hunting rabbits, it's going to be different than if you're hunting, you know, whatever else. If uh, you happen to be into bullfrogs or something like that.
0: Well, every animal has a specific environment it tends to prefer. Every animal has time of day that it's most active. Every animal has different traits, characteristics that you really need to learn to be a, a good hunter. A good, uh, and, and like I said, it's, this isn't just for any particular reason, but to, to be able to locate accurately an animal consistently, it takes a lot of knowledge of that animal. Take any fisherman, any bird watcher, any, you know, you can pretty well name it, any good photographer, and they will spend hours trying to understand an animal to get that perfect opportunity to see it, to to witness it, to record it, to to potentially hunt it for food. But the same skill set comes into it. So if you're looking for deer, I mean, there's, there's an environment that you're going to look for, environment where they tend to congregate that you can find them at I find I mean and deer is not an animal I hunt a lot but it's an animal I see a lot and generally edges of fields is where I find it they're kind of best to see and that's because that's still going to give you a relatively clean uh view of them uh and they don't tend to like to be out too much in the open they're they're a bit flightier of an animal compared to some others so uh but that is something I'm willing to take other people's opinions on because, like I said, it's not something my specialty by any means. But it's just an example I wanted to use.
1: No, and that makes a real good point. Like, um, like you said, for deer, fields and places like that are great. Uh, birds and stuff, depending on the bird you want. Like I, I – Personally, I love bird hunting. That's my bread and butter right there. It's something I, I'm no dang good at it. I'm not going to lie. Because most times, like I said, I'm not going out there. I'm not starving. I know I can go to the supermarket. So I'm always kind of half-heartedly doing my hunting, to be perfectly honest. Um, so I tend to walk a little too noisy, which is something you have to keep in mind when you are out there hunting for whatever reason is these animals are going to be very aware of you. So if you do just kind of stumble through the woods like I do and you're clanging your bow or your firearm or whatever against trees and you're, you know, snorting and coughing and hissing and going on, I mean, this is all stuff that's going to spook the animals that you're out there with. So it's not just, sorry, let me back up. That ties into the location as well. Be aware of where you are going to potentially be looking for these animals uh, and how you're going to interact in that environment. Uh, I I guess where I was going with this was with birds. They tend to congregate around like pheasants and grouse and stuff like that. You'll find them in kind of in aldery swampy areas, or at least that's where I seem to find them. Don't wear your tennis shoes. You know what I mean?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, and that's a good point too. Even just how you dress. Uh, a lot of people are big on camouflage. I don't really find that that matters too much from my point of view, but yeah. Their environment will have certain uh, risks, elements, that we need to to account for. So like you said, a lot of animals do hang out in swampy, marshy areas. So a good pair of waterproof boots, essential. Uh, you, you have to prepare for the weather. But just because you're preparing for the weather doesn't mean you want loud clothing or clothing that's going to frighten the animals, down to things like odors. Uh, Noise levels, uh something that's even if it's not camouflage, which is something that's that kind of very bright and flashy that's gonna attract your attention and make your your emotions seem even more no noticeable is stuff you want to avoid. Um
1: now you said something there, Ben, and I'm gonna back up and I'm gonna make the controversial topic for the evening, or at least one of them, because I know there's gonna be a couple of them. You said down to your scent. Uh What's your personal opinion on these scent blocking products and stuff like that? Specifically, like, you see it a lot with deer hunting. You'll see, like, that uh, scent eliminator, or scent blaster, or deer used to smell, or whatever, right? These There's tons of scents. Like, there's an entire business wrapped around making you either smell like nothing or smell like something else. What's your feelings on how these actually work, Ben? Uh,
0: I, I've never really played with them too much, but I definitely don't you know if i'm out hunting i don't choose any products that have a very strong odor or scent like you, i don't wouldn't use a lot of aftershaves i wouldn't use very strong smelling underarm deodorants i'd use very mild soaps and uh, honestly i wouldn't worry about me having a good shower just before i go hunting you know your natural smell is usually not the worst smell for the animals but something that's that's definitely out of place for the animal, they're going to smell from quite right a ways away. So sort of to carry it to the point of, of silliness, I think if you're going to completely cover yourself in Axe body spray, which you can smell that from a mile away. I mean, think about it. If if you walk into a room and you notice someone smell, then for an animal, that's like you're yelling at them, right? Like, they compare to say a dog's scent where we can walk into a house and smell supper's cooking. A dog walks into the house and can smell every ingredient in that supper. That's kind of the difference in their ability of smelling. A lot of animals have comparable ability. I mean, their sight may not be the greatest or uh, a lot of th- even their hearing may not be the most acute, but a lot of animals can tell you're there by your scent alone. And if you wear something that's very strong, uh, there's no mistaking it like they know that that's not a smell they've smelt before and it's very strong so they're going to be very cautious before they they expose themselves to whatever's making that smell these scent eliminators i'm sure they work to a certain degree i just don't know if we need to use that just you know avoid the strong uh, sense that we, we, we we might put on ourselves otherwise
1: so you're much along the same thought process as me. And quite the same, I don't wear a strong aftershave or anything like that when I go in the woods. But I have had a, a small dabbling in some of these scent things. Like I've tried uh, the scent eliminators. I've tried deer... Uh, gosh, I can't remember what it is now. But i tried something a couple times here. And I'm going to be quite honest. I don't find a big difference between when I'm using a scent eliminator or a different scent or anything like that than if I just walk out into the woods and do my do. Like, I've... uh in the new Glasgow area. And Steve, you'll know this area a little bit, uh, up behind, Min- <clears throat> excuse me, Monroe Avenue extension. There's a big clump of stuff up in there. Uh, it goes back quite a ways. You can actually get how far away you need to be to hunt with a bow and stuff like that. And I have walked up in there. Uh, most of the time I forget my arrows. I'm actually up in this area. Uh, and I've headed to the point where I've sat down and just kind of leaned on a tree. And started whittling a, a spoon or something like that. And, you know, I'll hear something behind me. And this is just how good of a hunter I am. And I'll, like, turn around. There's literally a doe looking straight at me or something like that. Like, I, I just... And that was just getting up in the morning, throwing some clothes on, and going out to the woods. So I don't know if the scent eliminators and stuff like that would actually have helped in that situation. But that could also be the argument off the deer maybe are more familiar with people and stuff like that. Because they are considered, you know, quote-unquote town deer or whatever the you want to call it right so these are other things to think about too if you're out looking around for a specific type of animal is how used to people are they in those areas because i mean the the town deer once again here uh they'll, they'll cross through our yard and like i can literally yeah. open the bedroom window and be like i got out of here and they just kind of look up at me and be like Meh, and wander off and do their thing right versus if i'm out in like the backwoods of. uh let's say McCullough's Mountain or Weaver's Mountain or Brown's Mountain or something like that, I mean, you snap a twig and all of a sudden you see four deer run through that you never even knew were there, and they're skittish as heck. You know what I mean? Yeah. You
0: also have to think, I mean, I I think animals are smarter than a lot of people give them credit for, so they kind of know when hunting season starts. So not that they know the dates or anything, but shortly after hunting season starts, I'm sure that they start hearing gunshots and I'm sure that a lot of them are intelligent enough to know that gunshots mean people are hunting and they have that kind of down that once they hear that sound that humans are kind of dangerous and they, they'll avoid them a bit more. They also seem to have some ability to know where they're more safe than others
1: and I agree with that as well, uh, and it's not just deer but that's that seems to be what we're talking about uh, a little more often than not because that's the common one most people think of but even um i find a lot of birds birds and bears will migrate from areas uh as and it probably has to do with you know people are coming in and hunting and they all just flush out of that area but a lot of times if it's just you hunting an area you can go through and if you spook a few out of there they'll circle around and come back. Like birds, most uh, game birds have the circling tendency. They'll fly away from you in a direction and they'll circle way around and try and come back to their area. But during hunting seasons, it seems like they once they're gone, they're gone, they've moved on. Yeah. Remember Polo Cologne. That stuff attracted everything, right? Um, Polo Cologne was a tiny bit before my time, but... Only due to when I was born. Uh, I actually do remember the stuff. um, Where I was, we were kind of like the place that time forgot about. We were living 20 years behind (laughs) modern society, it seemed. So there was still a little of that stuff floating around. And I still remember um, some of the guys in the area would wear that stuff. And you could smell that from, like, at least 100 meters away. And I I don't know, maybe... Maybe somebody out there liked that stuff, but to me, it smelled basically like pure gasoline. It was terrible stuff.
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, it's it's maybe not polo gasoline, but there are certain individuals, and I don't want to pick on any people or age brackets or anything, but there's certain individuals where you can literally smell them like hundreds of feet away. Like, you, you, you can almost smell them when they enter a building. You know what I mean? Like, there are some people who really enjoy scents and they use them excessively and it, that type of person is going to be harder to hide in the woods type deal
1: definitely uh, if i can smell you at 100 feet away in a building you can definitely assume that a deer or a bear or a coyote or a bird or something is going to smell you a, a lot away. further away in the woods because we don't have,
0: as 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 animals go, generally we don't have the best sense of the smell. Uh, I would say one of our strongest senses would actually be our eyes. Uh, as, as a hunter, um, you know, we can pick up on some sense. We usually pick up like smoke, uh, the sense of like a person that's wearing a lot of perfume, or or or, or that you. Uh, fuel we tend to smell fuel pretty well but a lot of other things it's it gets lost you know and sometimes all we can do is pick up an overall aroma of everything that's a, we can't pick out individual things kind of what i was talking about the soup uh.
1: yeah uh funny enough uh you were just saying one of our strongest points is our eyesight and nowadays that's probably very true but um Humans, and and somebody out there may correct me on this, if I remember correctly, humans were endurance hunters. We, literally, as a primitive species, our key feature was we were so persistent we would chase things until they basically became exhausted and we could get a hold of them and eat them. So...
0: Yeah, oh, and and generally, and I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm a good example of this, we've lost that ability.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, modern day has definitely changed things a lot. But on the plus side of that, we do have a lot of stuff now working uh, for us modernly that is to our benefit when we're out there hunting. And we did talk a little bit about webcams. Uh, we also have like GPSs and stuff like that, that we can uh, literally, we can sit down and Steve just happened to say he was looking at something on Google Earth here a few days ago. We do have the opportunity, we can sit down, we can bring up maps, really easily accessible now. Uh, As for where previous, you either had to go buy the map or you had to go to natural resources and ask to see maps or something like that. And you can look at an area where you think, your potential species is going to be, and you can kind of do a little self-investigating on if you think it is going to be a good area. Like I've driven past a patch of, uh, woods on the highway and I always look at it and I go, there's so many popple trees in there. I bet you that's going to be a great place to go in. And, uh, I always thought it'd be to camp or something like that. You know what I mean? And finally I, I said, screw it. I'm going to break out Google maps. I got it in there and I started looking at the topography and stuff like that only to find out it goes down to a bowl when it turns into a swamp. So, I mean, that's just one little example but you can really use that when you're trying to plan where where you want to go in the woods and how you want to hunt in the woods um lots of places where i've seen uh, out by the waterfalls i always thought that'd be a great place for rabbits but then once you get you know looking through the topography and stuff like that and you can literally look at like what the um on the natural resources website or lands and forestry whatever they call themselves now they have like the the um I'm trying to think what they, they label it as. But anyway, it, it tells you what dominant species of tree is in an area. Uh, right. And yeah, and you can kind of go from there and find it. Like you don't generally find rabbits in swampy areas. Like, you know what I mean? Like they, they do live there. Don't get me wrong. But generally that's not their favorite habitat. They don't want to get wet just like the rest of us. Um, but you can go in and it'll show you like, yeah, that's that's generally black spruce. So if you see it's generally black spruce, Black spruce is a bog-type uh, tree, you know what I mean? So you can go, okay, well, it's probably not going to be the best spot to go do X. Or, hey, that's the perfect spot, but I need to bring my rubber boots, as we had already, you know, mentioned earlier in the episode.
0: It's funny you say that, because most of Newfoundland, in my opinion, is bog, the area I hang out in anyways, and we have plenty of rabbits. So.
1: <laughs> and that's what I said. I mean, it, it's not impossible. Rabbits will literally go anywhere. But, yeah. I mean... Their favorite area around here is going to be, once again, more of like the, uh, you know, like uh, alderish patches, lower shrubs, things where they're going to get good cover, good easy food. I find most of the animals in Nova Scotia have inherited a certain amount of laziness. If, if that makes any kind of sense, like especially bears, everybody complains about black bears being out in the public. It's not that the black bears went out in the public. It's that the people are moving further and further into the woods and they're offering them incredibly easy meals. Like this is prime blackberry season. Uh, I've already had people at work tell me, oh yeah, I got black bears out back and stuff like that. First thing I say is, well, have you been barbecuing lately? Do you got dog dishes outside? Is your green bin like outside with the lid open? Well, Yeah. Well, what do you, what do you expect? I mean, I'm not going to walk all the way to the supermarket, which is 10 miles away, if there's a Burger King the block over, you know what I mean? Animals just like humans, they want to and especially bears, they want to put out the least amount of effort to take in the most amount of calories cuz from the time bears wake up, they're just preparing to hibernate again. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that's very true. Um I think every every creature is a bit of a uh opportunistic eater so if there's a better opportunity it's easier less effort you know path of least resistance we're going to take it so that makes good sense and and the part you brought up with the maps the beautiful thing about that is not only can you like kind of figure what the, the topography is what kind of plants are available where lakes and rivers and stuff are but you can also like literally measure out distances from things so you can say that i am A kilometer from the nearest house or i can you can figure this stuff out you can choose prime prime things so if you're trying to get away from people you can figure out you know where the nearest habitat is or and all that um and so it's it is a great recce thing to to, to even pre-plan where you want to go and then using something like our webcams and stuff we can get out there earlier in the season and kind of know what air what's in that area so that when it comes time to the season we want to be there we already know that this is the spot we want to be because we know that wildlife is still there and we can tell that it's been there up until a few days ago
1: yeah and funny enough with that this is the time of year when i'm starting to put out my trail cams now Uh, i know hunting season's still you know way off but i want to know starting now what are the animals like coming through this area Are they still here from last year? Has the patterns changed? Are they still coming to the area where I frequent? And I mean, we can, like with the trail cams, how many months am I in here? Uh, What's this, June, July, August, October, November. So what am I? uh, I'm like three, four months, four months ahead of the curve and I can start planning. Like if in a month I don't see what I want to see, I can start moving around and I have time. You know what I mean? And I think,
0: it's just a kind of an exciting thing like you said me and you if someone came out and said you can't kill any more animals it's not really going to curb our hunting any we're just gonna switch to cameras to to visually finding them you know the kill is very much secondary tertiary to us as, as to the rest of the skills and the enjoyment of it. just being able to find these animals routinely and and enjoy the, the view I mean the hunt the, you know there's the from a from a, a meat gathering yeah that's an aspect of it but it's not the prime aspect for us
1: no and um it's real easy to go to the supermarket and buy steak uh everybody says well oh, if you get a deer you'll have so much meat anybody that says that though it may be true i don't think you unless you have gotten a deer before or any animal i don't think you're 100 percent aware of the amount of effort that actually goes in to the start of hunting to you know uh tracking that animal dispatching that animal cleaning that animal processing that animal to putting that animal in your freezer like there is a huge workload in there and it's a very enjoyable workload don't get me wrong but if you're thinking that it's easy going into it you may want to accompany somebody when they do theirs at least one run through because the first time I went deer hunting I said oh this is going to be great I'm going to get a deer it's going to be cool I'm going to get in the freezer and things are going to be great until I had to pull that sucker out of the woods. I learned right then and there that the supermarket with a shopping cart is so much easier than dragging a couple hundred pound deer out of the woods. Uh, and you, you, you wuss, you're complaining about
0: dragging a deer out of the woods. I had to drag moose and caribou
1: out. I, and that's what I mean. I mean, this this just goes on. If you bear hunt, you're going to have to take that out of the woods. If you moose hunt, you got to take that out of the woods. If you caribou, like anything like that, it's got to come out. And that's the part that everybody tends to overlook, I find. I overlooked it. I didn't think about it. I was like, oh, I'll worry about that when it comes, until it came. And then, you know, there all of a sudden I am with this deer, and i got to figure out how to get it out, because the first deer that I ever uh, harvested, it was rather warm. Uh, it was like 16 oh, yeah. degrees, something like that. You know what I mean? And I mean, that, that's warm. So that thing had to be cleaned. It had to get out of the woods, and it had to start to be cooled down in a hurry, and you know me, Ben. Do I hurry about anything? <laughs> no. I don't even hurry about thinking to hurry. <laughs> so, <laughs> But anyway, you know, it was a ton of work. It's very rewarding work. I just go into it with uh, a different appreciation for it now. And same as if you're going to start, uh, if you want to get into photography, like ask any serious bird watcher, which is, you know, it's very similar to hunting. That's exactly what we're talking about. To get some of those uh, unique birds and stuff like that, They're going pretty far into habitats to find these things. And they'll set up blinds to try and locate these things. And they'll track nests. And they'll get online and talk to forums about where these things have been seen. And all that good stuff. And I mean, that all relates over to hunting as well. Like Anybody that's a serious hunter, I can guarantee you they're a part of like four or five different Facebook pages. Or groups. Or something like that. Where they're talking to other hunters about what they should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing, where they should be going, where they shouldn't be going. And um, it, it all goes across. My wife is fighting with my dog, literally beside me, if you're wondering why I'm laughing.
0: And, and, and here's a strange fact, and I don't know how true it's, it is across the board, but I have seen people going in to take photography of, of wildlife that a hunter would laugh at the amount of weight they're pulling because they're pulling more weight than the hunter is going with the gun so some of the scopes and stuff i've seen i watched a guy go into the uh the eagle watch here in nova scotia and the scope he had on when he hooked the tripod onto his camera it didn't touch the camera it just went in the middle of the scope and the camera just floated on the back i mean this thing was probably about nine ten inches on diameter like the end of the lens and then the thing was over a meter long. Like, I, I'm not even kidding. Like, this isn't even a joke. Uh, and then he had, like, a big Rebel, can, Canon Rebel hang, camera hanging off the back, and it was insubstantial compared to the rest of that.
1: When uh, I lived in Halifax, when I was going to college and stuff, uh, there was somebody there that was into amateur photography. And I say that with quotation marks because their amateur photography was probably well beyond anything i could even dream of in professional photography much like you said they had these lenses and stuff that were worth more than my soul was i can guarantee you that and they they did take professional photos and they sold to companies and stuff like that and uh, i mean the other follower that you always hear us rousing about on here uh jeremy he does some photography and i'm sure he can attest to this if he ever listens to this hopefully he'll throw a comment in there but just to get that one photo that you might potentially be able to sell if you know a, a cool deer photo or a beaver photo or something like that you probably have taken a hundred other photos that you have just put as much effort into that is going to go nowhere and you might have tromped through you know tens to tens 20s 30 kilometers worth of trekking through the woods carrying all this weight um and it may never go anywhere, so you definitely have to have a little bit of passion with it as well, you know what I mean? And I think anyway that we're talking to tonight, it hopefully, has a little bit of passion about this, because if they're listening to us, they should know right away, we're never going to make you money. We're, we suck at making ourselves money. <laughs> and by that, you mean we've never actually made money. <laughs> I We have never made money. Nope. Not with this, anyway. Our day jobs, and I think even my work hesitates to pay me sometimes. <laughs> Yes, too. Darn
0: it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. uh, you know, we've gotten a ton of enjoyment out of it. Uh, I'm, I'm extremely happy I got a book out of this.
1: <laughs> yeah, actually, have you started reading yours yet?
0: Yeah, I I almost think we can do a show off it eventually. but
1: I'm about halfway through. I still got mine here beside me. So I'm... Um... Where am I at? Handles a small diameter birch. Page 194. You're a bit ahead of me. Well, I've also had it a little longer than you. Once again, not a fast guy, right? (laughs) But yeah.
0: uh, Yeah, we we kind of derailed ourselves there. Sorry about that, folks. (laughs) The photography thing, that is a huge skill, and there's so much to learn, and it's something I have an interest in, but I'm still using my phone's camera, man. Like, I have bought okay cameras over the years but i haven't bought professional quality by any means and every time i see like a professional quality photo photographer and i'm talking with them and they start talking about f-stop and this that and the other thing and i'm i'm trying to keep up but it's a struggle like and if you've got everything set up wrong you can have the opportunity for the best picture in the world when you get home you'll have a photo that's either too washed out or too dark Mm -hmm. And it's going to be completely unusable Uh, so you have to have this stuff set up right so that when you have the picture you have the optimal amount of light and then you can make your adjustments and make make it really pretty and i mean that's where some people excel
1: and that's actually a real good way to tie this all back in much like hunting when you're taking photos or much when you're taking photos like hunting time of day uh overcast conditions wind conditions uh, they're all going to play a little part in how you're going to go about this. Like, if you, you, generally, you want the wind coming to your face. That way, you're walking, you know, downwind of stuff. That way, your scent is not blowing to hopefully the area you're going into. Something to keep in mind. If you have heavy cloud cover. Um, you might be able to get away with a, you know, a little bigger lens or a little bigger scope because you're not going to get so much glare off it. And animals do pick up on this glare and stuff like that. Uh, You may not, and once again, we're getting into some of the debatable stuff of this, but I, I know people that wear like, uh, the shadow stuff under their eyes to try and block the glare off their face and things like that. Something I've never gotten into. I've never seen the need for it, but some people do it and they, they swear by it. You know what I mean? And this is stuff that maybe you don't need as much in overcast conditions as to where if it's bright and sunny, you know, one yourself, you're going to have to worry, uh, about a little bit more heat and stuff like that. Potentially. Um, you're going to have to worry more about glare. Um, uh, depending on the atmosphere conditions not only just the wind direction and stuff like that if you have a stable atmosphere things are going to carry up a lot higher so if you had a you know if you smoke or if you had a little campfire or something like that that smell is going to go straight up instead of flattening out with an unstable atmosphere and travel further like there's a lot that you can put into this and the more you put into this the more you're going to get out of it. And that's kind of why it's enjoyable, not only for hunters, but photographers, but woodcraft in general or bushcrafting in general. Like this, it's as far as you want to take, go down the rabbit hole, you will still get returns out of it.
0: And anytime you think you found something new, somebody is already very heavily into it. Uh, I really want to latch on a little bit to the wind there. If you're hunting, say a field, uh, usually I try to find something cut co- some cover, So I try to stay off to the edge of the field usually under you know, like a blind or behind a tarp or something So they can't pick me out as well But you that is a huge deal is like as the wind changes Where you sit on that field should also so you want to be so that wherever you expect the animals are most likely to come out of You want to make sure the wind is blowing from that direction to you not the other way around or at, at worst and 90 degrees to that, so you're still not going in. But ideally, the more the wind blows at you, the better, because then you're going to be uh, keeping more of the area, likely that an animal is going to come in, not smell you and be avoided. Also, the more time you spend in the area, the more used to you they will get, and they may start to ignore you. If you've never really caused them a problem in the past, they'll have no reason to suspect you will in the future. Uh, so that kind of plays in your favor if you if you visit an area frequently they may very well get used to your smell your sound and they may ignore you a bit uh, just on more.
1: that I've uh, I've heard people swear by like where they set their blinds and stuff up they'll take their hunting vest or something and they'll hang it there a month beforehand so they get used to seeing the orange uh, yeah. now I've done a little research on this and apparently deer don't see orange and reds very mm-hmm. well they're very uh greens and blues are their dominant colors they they don't have enough cone receptors in their eyes or something like that i'm sure somebody with a lot more technical jargon knowledge will be able to add more into that but long story short their eyes don't work like our eyes they see less colors and you know the reds and oranges tend to be a little less so they see them as grays so they'll put the colors out there and they'll get used to that Um, and once again i don't know if it does anything or not but that's something to keep in mind much along the lines of what you were saying, right? They get used to seeing that stuff there. It hasn't caused them problems in the past, so why would it in the future?
0: Now, I think that the vest, because the vest will have some of your odor on it. It's just going to get them used to that odor being there, and then they're not going to notice you as much. Honestly, you could probably just take a couple of used T-shirts and lay around your site and probably create a very similar effect. Wear a T-shirt for a couple days, leave it at the camp, and it's going to...
1: I was going to say, and this is a true story, I swear, swear to God, I knew somebody that hunted, and the way they hunted was when they went and set their blind up, they always wore the same pair of clothes, they were out there, and when they would come home, or on their way home, they'd take a garbage bag, and from the area where they were at, they'd scoop up some leaves and twigs and stuff like that, they would get home, they would take their clothes off and put in the bag with that. Next time they're going to the area, the clothes would come out of the bag, go back on and they go to the air. Same pair of clothes every time they went out, I'm sure, you know, clean underwear and socks, don't get me wrong. But same, Mm -hmm. you know, jacket, hat, stuff like that, and just to keep that consistent smell. And I mean, I did it work? I have no idea, but this person always pulled deer out of the woods. Yeah.
0: No, I I think it has an effect. I, I, I do think that I mean they they are intelligent animal. I think most animals are relatively intelligent. Uh so you have to kind of outthink them that's a big part you, you said humans were naturally a bit of an endurance hunter but we we're very intelligent hunters so we knew how to cut animals off we knew how to to predict their behaviors and 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 sort of beat them to the punch type deal right we we learned that once something a happens to an animal they're most likely to do b uh in hunting deer caribou moose i'm i've told that if you If you shoot them, they will generally head towards water if they don't, if it's not going to kill them right away. And so you don't really have to, if you know the only source of water for quite a ways around, ways around is relatively close, you don't have to track them that well. You can walk straight to that thing of water and most likely find them, right?
1: And Uh, while we're talking about water, that's something to keep in mind. All animals need water. So at yeah, watering holes and little streams and stuff like that, you're gonna see the most variety of animals I've found in my experience. And just being out in the woods, you know what I mean, because everything needs to drink eventually.
0: Yeah, yeah. A lot of an- other animals actually use that as a, as a technique. And I think not so much up here, but like crocodiles and stuff like that, which they just wait near the edge where the animals tend to come down for a drink. They can get a pretty quick and easy meal. It's almost guaranteed something's coming soon, right?
1: Um, and I mean, for a photography friends, it's a great place to set up because you'll get a good variety of animals coming in.
0: Yeah. So we talked a little bit about, you know, types of animals, types of environment. The other thing is the types of hunting, and we did kind of touch on that with, like, saying our trail cams and snares would be a similar style of hunting where it's sort of a set it and forget it type thing. And then the more active hunting is – you have to be there and this is where you're talking more like you know your camera your rifle it could be your bow i know we both enjoy both bows and stuff and there's a few other options that are out there but in the end those are the ones that are more or less legal you can't really spear an animal anymore you can't there's a lot of things you're not allowed to do but uh i mean they have their own time and place and they worked for hundreds and thousands of years so i don't knock a lot of this stuff but uh, choosing your, your tools is just as important as choosing your clothing and your environment. Choosing a tool that's, that's adequate for the environment you're going to uh, really does help. Because one of the things I learned years ago is if you're going into an area that's all close quarters, you don't need a long-range rifle, Right. Something that can shoot a long distance is great if you're out in the prairies or if you have, you're have you hunting a big field and you're planning on hitting something that's four or 500 yards out. But if you're in an area where the longest shot you're ever going to get is 50, 60 feet, you know, small clearing or something.
1: On popular opinion number two for this show, um, <laughs> and I know there's going to be people out there that are going to argue with me, and you, that's the right most people i know and i've talked to and had experience with like actual outdoorsy people not just rambo warriors and stuff like that most of them even rifle hunters 100 yards is a long shot in nova scotia like like you said out in the prairies and stuff like that where you have those open areas yeah you can get away with it but nova scotia 100 yards is a long shot before you got something between you and your target and that's Oh, oh sorry go ahead
0: I was going to say, when I hunted in Cape Breton for moose, I went down with a rifle. Uh, and I had joked at the time that had I had my time back, I would have gotten a 12-gauge shotgun with a slug. Because rarely was there a shot that I wouldn't have been able, just as capable of using the shotgun uh, as I would of the rifle. I mean, my rifle is sighted in, I think, for 150 to 200 yards. I never had a well. There was a couple of times I could have shot either that, or way, way higher, like from one side of a valley to an X. But that's that has its own series of problems. Like you shoot that far, by the time you get to the animal, you know he could be a mile away if you didn't get a good shot. And the further away you're shooting, the more likely it is to not be a kill shot. So uh, it's a lot taken into consideration and going (coughs) in. with something like a rifle, for example, it's generally sighted in for a certain distance and mm-hmm. you have to accommodate for that. Um, and I, I really can't push it enough and I know, I, you know I'm probably guilty of this. you cannot practice too much with your your equipment. Uh, so that's a beauty of the bow. One of the reason I think we both like it is you can practice with a bow quite a bit.
1: Mm-hmm
0: in in more spaces it's quieter nobody seems to notice or care and you can reuse your ammunition where with i mean you can reload your ammunition with a rifle or a shotgun but you can't reuse it you're not going to collect up all the lead up and put it back in
1: no and and that's actually one of the prime. Well, it's definitely a leading factor into why I go with a bow. I like a bow, and this is—I can hear people say I'm a psycho right now. I like a bow because it's more personal. If that makes any kind of sense, it gives you that experience of getting up close and really experiencing something. Because if you do decide to harvest an animal and whatever, I'm a big believer, and you should know exactly how that animal is going to end up on your plate, you know what I mean, like nothing but respect for what you're taking there, and I find that's a lot easier to do with a bow, because you really have to be sure if you want to take that shot, and you really have to think about what you want to do, because once again, you're getting into that closer thing, and that's actually one of the benefits to if you are just a photography buff or something like that, you don't really have to have that end game thought process in your head, because there's been lots of times, even with a rifle and stuff, I've been out there, I've had a good shot, and I've just gone, you know what, don't need it, You know what I mean? Just, I I don't feel like dragging it out. I don't feel like, you know, actually harvesting this animal. Whatever the case may be, just, nope, don't need it. As where, if you are doing the photography thing, take the shot. I mean, worst case, it's a bad picture, you know what I mean? But, uh, Um, nope, sorry, go ahead, Ben. No, I I agree. With the photographer,
0: you can take a shot. You can take a hundred shots, and you can take a whole, whole bunch of adjustments, but you're still only going to get so many chances before it leaves. Uh, I wanted to touch on this. You said some people might think you're a psycho, and I think you really want to be careful with that because the reality is most hunters actually care an awful lot about the animals they're hunting. A lot of the ones I've hunted with and I spent time with, um, it's very upsetting that if, if they injure an animal, it's not that they lost the animal. It's that they now have injured an animal and it's 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 in pain. It's their fault, and they couldn't just give it a clean kill because that's very important to those to to a good hunter. We don't take the best hunters I've met don't take huge enjoyment out of taking the animal's life, but they do take enjoyment as of the, the skills it took to get to the animal, to, the enjoyment they get from when they're in the woods, and the fact that they're feeding their family. The kill is not something that most of us overly enjoy. It's it's a consequence. To everything else that we need to do.
1: And I 100% agree with you. And I think that is one of the larger misconceptions um, from people that don't hunt or don't appreciate hunting or whatever the case may be uh, to the hunting community is, like you said, the vast majority don't enjoy actually you know, dispatching or ending an animal's life. The enjoyment is that like you said the skills and stuff like that and that's exactly why I like the bow it's a lot more personal experience uh, I'm a lot more grateful for when I do decide to take a harvest and I get that harvest um, it, it, to me it also gives me a good buffer net because with um, with a bow you have to be so close to ensure that your shot is good that if for me anyway it takes a lot of that questionable shots out like if for me a long shot with the bow is about thirty yards. You know what I mean. Anything past thirty yards, I could I do it. Probably in ideal conditions. Would I probably take the shot in the woods? No, honestly. You know what I mean. Like it, it's. I'm down to. I have to be very confident about what I'm going to take. So it's a nice, clean, ethical dispatch. And that's kind of why I like going down that route, you know what I mean? I get a lot more walking in with the bow, too, and I get to see a lot more nature, and I find it a little bit more quiet, and it's a little easier to carry around. These are all things as well, but when it actually comes to the final end product, I find it's a lot more personal experience, and I accept a lot more where that came from. Because I, I guess the old adjective goes with a gun or something like that, at 100 yards away, it all looks the same, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? I don't know. My own two cents on that.
0: No. Uh, there's definitely something to say about it. I mean, the action of hunting, there is a, a give and take with it. And and with that respect and that knowledge of the animal, you, uh, you do give a, a fair bit of yourself to it. Uh, and you're, you're, you're taking from that, that experience. Um, so with the bow it is much more personal you are much closer you are you know it adds to that experience uh can some people get a similar experience of a rifle i believe so uh but you know uh, the only thing you could get more careful or more close to would be to take it with your own hands and that's (laughs)
1: you know. <laughs> You're not going to see me fighting a deer. Okay. That's Rambo shit. <laughs> okay. I have a small story and I don't want to mention any names, but I sincerely hope this person listens to this story or listens to this podcast because I do know they listen to us from time to time. I used to work with this individual. Uh, we worked at Natural Resources. Now, anybody that thinks, oh, you know what? I could probably take a deer. Here's a story for you that will say there's a real good chance you can't. So... <laughs> This fowler doesn't matter where it was. Anyway, uh, long story short, there was a deer. It was only uh, a little older than a fawn. Like it wasn't very old. We got it in a trap and it had to be go got picked up. So we had the, the container cage on back of the truck and I wasn't with him. I got told this third hand and seen videos because it happened outside a police station and there is video floating around of this and I'm sure he has videos of this. But anyway, um, deer was in the back driving along somehow the door got on latched he looks in the back the deer's head's basically in his rear window staring at him right and once again we're talking small deer it's just a little older than a fawn probably just got away from its mother or the mother had been in the area but in any case he's like all right well i'll stop and put this thing back in the cage how hard can this be Long story short, he stopped the truck and it hopped off back and he got the idea that like it was just right in front of him, so he went and made this grab for it. And this happened outside an RCMP station. Like I said, I swear this actually happened. There is video of this individual trying to wrestle this deer in front of an RCMP station and literally had the severe beating of his life. He had bruises and little heart shapes all over his body from the little hooves just... Mangling. Like, he didn't get severely hurt. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that he, you know, got severely hurt, but he had a beating. It was like he took, fell downstairs, all from this tiny little deer. Because when you're looking at the video, this man is probably twice the size of this deer, and it is just pointing the thumping of his life to him. Long story short, he never got the deer back in the cage. Or at least I don't think he did. I, I died laughing, and I couldn't watch the rest of the video. But anyway, like, at If you had said, oh, yeah, you can't handle that deer, I would have been the first one to be like, it's a tiny deer. Yeah, I'll go grab that and throw it in the cage for you. No, no, not now. I made that mistake with a goose once, and I will never, never make that mistake again. And uh, the mistake I made with the goose, just to continue the story, was once again worked for Natural Resources. We got a call that there was a goose uh, harassing people around uh, a lake, and it had this big culvert in there. And, long story short, the goose had laid eggs in the culvert, and that was kind of its little, you know, nesting area. So anyway, once again, I said, how bad can a goose be to get out of a culvert? I'll crawl in there, and I'll just push it out, and the things will be good, because the babies were hatched to this point. I would just relocate them. Well, I'm near, at the time, I was probably 280 pounds. Goose might have been 50 on a good day, and I lost that fight. I literally, like, there's no way to explain how bad of a beating a goose can put on you, man. I I didn't realize. It. Like I had harvested turkeys, raised turkeys, all of this stuff, and I said, "It can't be worse than a turkey." It is so much worse than a turkey. I can't even describe it. But uh there I will mention his name. There's uh he was on my fire crew at the times name's Matthew. Uh I will get in touch with him and if he's willing to post up in the comments, he can comment on this a little bit. He's, he was there with me and uh yeah, he, he laughed at me quite a bit. Uh, yeah, that was a bad time. I'm just sitting here thinking about it, and that was a real bad time. <laughs> I, had, anyway. I had
0: to look it up while you were talking. One of the nicknames for a Canadian goose is the hissing cobra chicken.
1: <laughs> Alex just said the same thing, fear the cobra chicken. And I've only recently heard it called a cobra chicken. So,
0: <laughs>
1: I, mean,
0: I, I have heard that. If you uh if you want to protect your your wild your uh, animals on a farm all you need is a handful of geese. Uh, I believe it and they are vicious. Uh they will they can I've heard it, a Canadian goose can break a man's leg with his wing.
1: Like I said, I there's not much you can say about a goose that I would be like oh no that's that's not true because I've been on the bad end of a goose beating. And it's, I was astounded by how bad that goose kicked my butt. Long story short, it's still, I keep saying that, but anyway, end of the day, I never did get the goose out of that culvert. I, I gave up straight up. I've dealt with eagles, Ben. I have yeah. physically grabbed eagles and put them in cages and have been less scared than when somebody says, I got to go get a goose again.
0: I, I can believe it. Uh, You know, They can be quite uh, aggressive, quite vicious. Uh, And that's the thing to keep in mind with almost any animal, though. like In the right situation, all animals have a certain amount of ability to protect themselves. Down to the smallest animal, like a mouse, to a, a squirrel. I mean, I guarantee you, if you think you can handle a squirrel in a fight, good luck. Try to grab, grab a squirrel and tell me what's going to come out of that, right?
1: Whole new respect for wildlife after I lost that fight to go, to the goose. I'm, I'm not even, like, I I can't stress this enough. Like Ben said, if you think you're going to wrangle onto a wild animal and win, you're in for a surprise, man. You are in for a big surprise. I, I highly recommend some, like, padding, maybe some thick gloves. A, a gun rubber bullets if nothing else oh man yeah but no anyway like i said two funny stories just to iterate the point like ben said don't think you're going to tangle the wild animal and come out on the winning edge even if you do you're going to pay for it every inch so lots of respect uh and that kind of goes especially if you you know you're trying to do uh, hunt bear or something like that even with a camera be real careful about how you go about that because if a bear decides, like if you know, you didn't see cubs or something like that, or the bear takes an interest in you, uh, they can make your day pretty bad.
0: Oh, yeah, uh, and, and that's that's something else to be fairly careful with, especially like you said with the camera, because you have no real degree of protection. You can snap a picture of an animal a lot of times before it's slowed down. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty you know, like infinite. The camera could still be going off while you're <laughs> getting beat up. <laughs> But at least you'll have the recording of you getting beat up, which is probably going to go viral on YouTube this day after. So, there is that, right? Uh, yeah, you, you get a good video of, a, of a, you know, the Canadian goose kicking the shit out of you, then you can probably post that on and it'll get more views than all of our, our shows
1: combined. Oh, I guarantee you, if I... I don't want to slip up and say his name. If I get that video, I'll talk to him, and if he still has the video of that deer... If I can get his face blurred, it's going up. (laughs) Because it was far enough away, you probably wouldn't be able to tell who it was. Because I don't really want to embarrass him, because much like myself, I don't mind embarrassing myself. But he had one of those epiphany moments where it's, oh, it's small enough, I can handle that. And about halfway through it, you can literally see that whole opinion go, nope. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, done. (laughs) Done. (laughs) But anyway, uh, yeah, so we talked a little bit about... um, well, we actually talked about a lot of stuff and we kind of ended up on uh, the right tools for the job. And we did say a little bit about bows and a little bit about rifles, a little bit about um, cameras. We talked about snaring at one point there. And I mean, these are all things that you can, they're all tools in your tickle trunk. You know what I mean? So whatever reason you do have to get out there, uh, just be competent with what you're going out there with. Uh, earlier in the show, Ben said, practice, practice, practice. If you're going to go out with a bow. Make sure you practice a little bit before you go out. If you're going out hunting with a rifle, make sure you go to the range and take a few shots before you ever set foot in the woods. If you're going to go out with a camera, make sure you know how to use your camera so you get the shots you want. Yeah. And even if you're not a professional photographer, you know, high-end stuff, cameras nowadays on phones have gotten astronomical. So if you're just looking to get a few photos for yourself and some memories, there's nothing wrong with taking your phone and going in and shooting some pictures.
0: I uh, I actually have... I should look at it. I haven't tried watching it yet. We were at the cabin the other weekend, and uh, there's baby ducks everywhere. Like I think mm. we counted eleven different baby ducks uh, between two families that are just hanging out in front of our cabin all the time. And uh, you know, in the evening, how you get like a lot of flies flying around the the, the shoreline? Yeah. These little baby ducks came along, and they're they're catching the flies. <laughs> and it's some of the funniest stuff you've ever seen like
1: once your chickens go outside ben they'll start doing that too hey eh?
0: oh I, i'm counting on it
1: <laughs> try and take the bug level down so alex mentioned slingshots for small game uh what about you ben you have any experience hunting with a slingshot
0: uh i've definitely got experience with a slingshot uh and in the woods, I've never tried to hit an animal with a slingshot uh, for a few reasons. Um, and not that I want to go too much in depth with it, but basically it's not really legal around here. And as such, I don't want to push that. Um, I like animals. I I, don't, I definitely don't want to injure one if I was in an emergency situation, it's life and death. I think i would i would definitely try it but no i have not hunted with a slingshot that being said uh we ha- i have the i'm trying to see if i can see it from here it's, that's what i was short- just
1: glancing for too i thought mine was up there
0: <laughs> i had that little uh, pocket was it pocket shot or whatever it was mm. okay. and that's awesome fun i take that with me a lot of times when i'm in the woods and it's really fun because it's it's something you can take when you're you're able to With your buddies and not all of them have had one or used one or played one and you can pull it out and just you know target practice it's quick simple doesn't take a lot of room doesn't weigh a lot uh so it's it's great a bit of fun and i highly recommend it as a as a sport and with that particular one you can actually fire arrows uh
1: excuse me uh i can't remember if it was chris uh one of the chris's where is it at uh they mentioned bow fishing and that's something I've always wanted to try. Yeah, yeah. And I sure, it...
0: I definitely could have done it the other day. Not legally, I don't know at all about that. But I was doing the Shoebea River a little while ago. And man, the fishing net is unreal.
1: No, for sure. Uh, bow fishing, I believe, is legal in New Brunswick. I know it's not here in Nova Scotia. But uh, it's always something I've wanted to try. I think it'd be great fun, and they mentioned that it's uh, it's probably better for conservation, because you have to be a lot more sure about what you're shooting at, and you're probably going to be less apt to take more fish and things like that, which is real good points. Uh, when it came back to slingshots, to answer your question there, Alex, when I was younger, probably 14, 15, 16, I've taken a few squirrels, uh, and I've taken a few grouse. Yeah, grouse. Um, and since then, much like Ben, I have gotten away from it. I still practice. It's a lot of fun to shoot one. Uh, they shoot very much like a bow. Um, same kind of stance to it. Same kind of aiming system to it. So it's a lot of fun. Especially if you're into bow hunting. Uh, slingshot's a good thing that you can throw in the backpack and take with you and have a lot of fun with when you're in the woods. Just shooting at cans and limbs and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, in a survival situation, I would definitely go uh, and do some slingshot. Uh, I generally take one with me on uh, Ben has the pocket shot there I actually have uh, like a you know a slingshot with the arm brace on it uh, and a sight on it now and uh, I, I've gotten fairly good with it I mean I say fairly good but that's that's in the eye of the beholder you know like I can pick a pop can off at 20 feet but uh, it's a lot different when something's moving Grouse are dumb. I hunt them with rabbits near the end of an extendable prey brush handle. Uh, yeah. And that, that's kind of what I mean. Like, grouse, probably not the biggest thing to brag about shooting with a slingshot. Uh, I've actually moved grouse out of a road, especially spruce grouse, which, by the way, is you're not allowed to hunt in Nova Scotia if anybody's wondering. But, uh, spruce grouse, they just freeze up. Like, literally, you can pick them up, move them away, and off they go. So.
0: First time I was ever hunting them, uh, I had one of my cousins with Whitney. And, uh, we were just driving down this dirt road and one ran out in front of the road and as soon as it seen the car, it stopped. And we got out and we opened up the trunk. <laughs> got the gun out, walked up to front of the car. My cousin was just crying her eyes out and then Dad shot it. And she's like, it didn't move. It didn't even try
1: to go anywhere. It's so dumb. It doesn't deserve to live. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little harsh, but it's very true. They're not, like, they, they're... They're camouflage defense, yeah. right? But yeah. they're still an animal that's not used to pavement. So they think if they're walking along on the, you know, the, the floor of the forest and they freeze yeah. in the forest, they do get hard to see on Are a, you? Uh, you know, like 16 foot stretch of pavement. Not so difficult to pick it out.
0: <laughs> well, and this wasn't pavement. I mean, this was a backwoods dirt road. Like, mm. so, but it, yeah, it wandered out in front of us. It stopped. Pulled, you know. Anyways, it was funny. It was enjoyable in its own way.
1: And once again, don't don't get us wrong, ladies and gents. We're not saying that it's fun to kill things. It's just the no. situation itself was funny. I mean, things yeah. have changed quite a bit from when Ben and I were kids. Uh, especially from when Ben was a kid. because you know... <laughs> Wow. <laughs> uh, but no, seriously, things have changed a lot in the last, you know. Even the last 10, 15 years, things have changed drastically when it comes to hunting. Yeah. Um, So I think it's gotten a lot better in a lot of aspects. Uh, There's a lot more people going out to do, like, the camera hunting, if you will. Uh, They're getting out there. They're getting in the woods, which is, you know, one of the things we love to see is new people getting out there and enjoying the woods. Um, And I think a lot of the practices have improved with hunting. Uh, We have a lot more... And once again, this will be arguable, some people won't like it, but generally for the animal habitats, we've come up with a a few better conservation laws. Uh, We restrict things a little better, we're now watching more endangered species. Uh, I I think it's come a long way, and in a lot of ways, uh, a better way. There's some things, you know, that there'll be disagreements on, but that's just the way things go. What's your opinion on hunting large game with a new, larger caliber air rifle uh, that are available? So, I I have mixed feelings on air rifles. I don't have a lot of experience with air rifles, truthfully. What? I've only ever owned, like, you know, like one of those Red Ryder pellet guns. You know what I mean? That's not really an air rifle, to be fair. So some of the
0: higher-powered air rifles are very comparable to a, to a gunpowder rifle in, in, in power range. Uh, for years, you've been able to get one that's 22 gauge and can shoot at similar velocities. Uh, so I think if it's capable of doing it, what's, what's the really difference? I mean, you can still hit with the same kind of, you know, with better accuracy than you can with your bow. The only difference is you're taking out that explosive powder.
1: Yeah, and I guess uh, my opinion on it, for the little bit of knowledge I have, is like Ben said, just do your research on it. Make sure it's capable of the muzzle velocity and muzzle power uh, for the game that you're hunting. And if it is, I mean, then it, it, if it's acceptable to hunt that animal and dispatch it ethically and cleanly, then I really wouldn't see a problem with it. Uh, so the other, Chris, what calibers are they making larger than point one seven seven in airsoft? I know you can get Uh yeah. and you said they make equivalent to 20 gauge now, which would be... 22,
0: no, 22, a 22 gauge uh, for sure.
1: Uh, you can get point three five seven and point five zero 50 in air rifles now, and I, I was going to say, I know they made them bigger now because I do know what you're talking about, Chris. I have seen some of the websites. A, a buddy of mine Um, he's really big into air, uh, air gun marksmanship. He doesn't hunt, never set a foot in the woods, doesn't like to hunt at all, has no interest in it, but he's really into, uh, air rifle marksmanship and he does these like distance competition shootings with these things. And I know he's getting into some wicked caliber guns now that are shooting long distances with very good accuracy.
0: You can get one that's 50, uh, .51 caliber. Air Force Texan 50 CF.
1: Uh, Here, just hold on, Ben. Take the reins for a sec, bud.
0: 520 grain, 51 caliber, 800 foot-pounds of energy. So, I mean, yeah. I had to look it up. And honestly, not too far off from the price you'd pay for. Yeah, no, I uh, I see no problem. In fact, many years ago when I was uh, growing up, I made uh, sort of friends with the guy. He was a, the husband of, the, of a doctor in my hometown, and he loved fishing. So I'd often see him when I was out fishing. I had a chat with him. Quite a bit, and he—he, he, I think, was originally from Egypt, and he used to talk about growing up. They had large, high-powered uh, air rifles, and they used to take the vultures off the top of their, uh, uh, their churches and stuff down there. Just you know, they could pick them right off the roof. Uh, so, I mean, vultures are a pretty big bird, and th- that was existed for them then. So that was, you know, he was older than I was at the time, and. The, Probably you know thirty-four years ago that he was doing that. So Robert, okay, he just ran away. Hmm. No. forty-five cal. So yeah, you can pretty well get similar rifle, uh, sizes as you can for anything else. Just really curious where he went.
1: what happened buddy all right i'm back what happened no ran away. no i i thought we were talking calibers uh hmm. not everybody really knows sizes calibers and stuff like that they do know you know the bigger the calibers generally the bigger the bullet uh hmm. so let's talk calibers a little bit and this is just we're coming up at the end of our one hour so anybody that's zoned out is probably zoned out so we'll start off with uh i'm trying to look for something for reference this is the big thing here So anyway, this is just one of those, you know, it's a pen. So this is yeah. 22 caliber versus a pen. It's pretty you know, tiny. Pretty tiny. And this is a training round for anybody that's wondering. This is uh, this is a non-firing round. It has no gunpowder in it. Um, then you can get up into 23 cal, which this is actually for a starting pistol. <laughs> but I mean that's 23 cal, which is once again just a tiny bit up from that. Um, And then some of the common ones that you're going to hear us, or that we were talking about was, uh, so this is a 40 cal. In relation to like the, it's just the end that actually dictates what size caliber it is. So the actual piece of brass or lead on the end there. So it's getting to about the size of a pen. And I believe this is 45 cal. So you're probably a little bigger than a pen. And I couldn't find my 50 cal around here. It's bigger again. Just to give yeah. you an idea, so it's you're getting into like the size of your pinky finger or something like that. So you're talking when it comes to airsoft guns, uh, a 50 cal round is very good, substantial piece of uh, metal coming out of that out of that muzzle. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it, it's shooting pretty good. Well, a 50 cal yeah. even
0: even for the military was always considered a relatively big gun. I mean, the 50 cal gun was a is is a heavy powered gun, and Uh, I'm actually kind of surprised that the price I'm seeing here, Uh, some of these 50 cal guns start at uh, $1,250. That's not a hell of a lot different than you would pay for any other rifle. And these are, you know.
1: Chris Hillier, 22 short, long mag, subsonic. so This one here is literally just a training round. It's for uh, I taught the firearms course for a while. We used 22, so there's this would be a 22 long rifle dummy round. <clears throat> um, though yeah, there are different. Uh, w- what Chris is talking about there, 22 short, long mag, subsonic. The the caliber of the bullet itself, the physical lead that's coming out, is still 22 cal. Um, short it, it would have well about a third or two and a half the load of a long magnum more powder so moving faster or slower basically it's all he's talking about there so subsonic means it's shooting slower than the speed of sound uh generally they're not great rounds for hunting uh they're more for like rodent dispatching and stuff like that real popular in the states um shorts i don't even think you can buy those anymore I, I haven't seen them in ages. I do got a couple boxes of them here, but it's from when I was a kid. I don't even know if they would fire anymore. Um, so the typical one you're going to find around here when it comes to 22 Cal is like 22 long, right 422 22 Magnum. And 22 Magnum's moving a lot faster.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah and the other thing you, you want to keep in uh, is the grain. So as how heavy the round is. So that, that, that changes from... Uh, for the type of game you're hunting and stuff, you may want a heavier round or a lighter round, uh, depending on what you're doing. Uh, you can, We could have a whole episode, if you wanted, on, on just how, how ammunition works,
1: mm.
0: uh, rounds, different styles of, of tips and stuff like that, and why they, they are the way they are. It's actually quite interesting if that's something you're into. I don't think it's really 100% down our... our Train of where we normally want to be.
1: No, but it's but something it we could cover in a different, like just an add-on episode. We may not do it as a podcast episode, but it's a video we could do if anybody is interested in that information.
0: Yeah, uh the one thing that I always found a little interesting is the Winchester rounds, where they are head to toe. They didn't generally have a flatter tip than, right and that's because when you cock, you don't want the tip of one if they
1: hit the, the other prime
0: off the next one, right? But yeah, no, those, uh, actually, thanks for bringing that up. The, the, uh, high powered, uh, air rifles that, uh, you know, I've always been into air rifles. I have always had the 1.77s for practice and they're awfully fun. Uh, but I, I didn't realize that there was a, such a new change in it. But like I was saying earlier, I've known that some of these types of guns have existed for years and I knew some people had them usually outside of this country, but, uh, it is a very neat, uh, neat topic in itself. Anyways, I think we've done our time.
1: We have. We kind of, like I said, we derailed there at the end about our uh, our caliber sizes. That was just for those that were actually still here wanted to know. Uh, something I will mention, though, for next week, Ben, because we are guaranteed, or at least right now, we're pretty guaranteed about what our episode is going to be next week, and we do have a guest speaker coming on. Um, so anybody that's still listening to us, thanks for staying on this long through our rambles and whatnot, but next week we are going to be talking about, um, fire safety in the woods. And we do have a guest speaker. As I said, Paul Schnur is going to be coming on and he has over 30 years experience in the fire department. Uh, he's been involved in, uh, a significant portion of wildland fires, in nova scotia as well as across canada and even out of the country uh but i'll kind of let him tell his own credentials when he comes on and uh but yeah definitely look forward to it super knowledgeable man um and if you are going to come on for one episode uh even if you're not super into the topic i can guarantee you that by the end of it you will be because paul has this magical way of making everything he teaches incredibly interesting uh he, he does training for a living, uh, and he has gotten very good at it, is all I can say. Maybe I can learn something. Uh, he teaches in such a way that everybody learns something. He is awesome. scary smart. Like, absolutely terrifyingly smart. And I don't say that because he's my fire chief. I say that because he is literally terrifyingly smart. It, it would terrify some people, to like, the amount of knowledge this man has. Just about everything. It's crazy. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, so that's coming up next week. Uh, That will be at 8.30. Wednesday, what is next week, Ben? It's uh, the 23rd? 7 on to 16. So yeah, 23rd. So that'll be the 23rd. and He'll be joining us uh, from his own place via whatever we use here, Google Meets. Uh, so definitely, I'll, I'll be doing a little advertising. If you can think of some questions to ask, come load it with them next week because uh, Paul loves to answer that stuff. And I'm sure he'll give you real good in-depth answers, probably better than Ben and I could ever dream up. So if you wanted to know some of the reasoning behind the way they set some of the laws up, how fire bans go into effect... Uh, some of the fire behavior that goes into it that they take into consideration for this. I imagine he'll talk about some of the the fuel types and winds and vectoring and like you're going to get a plethora of information crammed into one hour episode.
0: Awesome. Uh, Chris pointed out here that there's actually some videos on YouTube of a guy taking out a water buffalo with an air rifle.
1: I'll have to try and check that out. Not that I want to see, you know, an animal die, don't get me wrong, but I do want to see it I do want to see an air rifle that could potentially do that. I'm more interested in what this air rifle looks like than anything, to be perfectly honest with you.
0: Honestly, from a distance, you wouldn't tell the difference. No? Except one's a lot quieter than the other. I could see that. <laughs> cool. Anyways, good night. Uh, like always, get after, have some fun. Uh, looking forward to seeing you guys in the future. Night, everybody. Night.